Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, I'm joined by an All Kinds of Weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. And if you aren't already, you can also follow our podcast Twitter at IAKOWForecast. The Gators have entered SEC play, and what a welcome it was. Florida, of course, came up just short against the number one Alabama Crimson Tide, losing by the score of 31-29. to And, of course, we're here to break it all down. Neil, before we get to that, other than the painful defeat that we can finally put to bed today, how you doing? I'm great, man. I'm on island time. I'm hanging out for the week in St. George Island uh, where my family owns a beach house. Um, Brought my friend there with me. That was nice. We just chilled for the last 48 hours. Uh, Did some real life work today. The next few days are going to be just chilling and recharging my batteries because on Saturday, there's another football game that we're going to talk about later in the week. But for our purposes right now, y'all should know, and this is easily the most seamless integration of our ad spots I've ever done. Uh, But just happened to set up that way because it's the week before. But anyway, next week is the Gator Good Foundation game where the Gator Good Foundation will be bringing a disabled U.S. Army veteran to his first ever Gator football game named Ontario. Ontario grew up a Gator fan and due to a large collection of unfortunate circumstances, never could get himself to a game growing up, even though his cousin was Gavin Dickey, a former UF quarterback. Uh, Again, he got injured in the Army in a laser training accident. Um, When the doctors examined him after the accident, they determined that he had an eye disease that's going to wipe his eyesight away very sadly. But not all sad in this story. He is going to get to see his beloved Gators play next Saturday night in the Swamp. Uh, y'all let's pack it. Let's be loud. We'll get to the Alabama game this Saturday momentarily, but let's, uh, let's try to match that energy and let's give them an experience and never forget. Um, and I say that not only because the Gator good foundation is truly a remarkable and a unique organization that caters to really, really the greater good of being a Gator. It, it shows that there are things that are more important than football out there. And um, I mean, it's just an honor to be a part of them, um, an honor to work with such great people and Jen, Anthony, Matt, and Taylor. Um, Matt is not going to be with us this year, unfortunately. He is dealing with a COVID bout, but yeah, it's showtime for the Gator Good guys. Um, that that foundation I've been giving ad uh, giving airtime to all this time is just under a week away from finally. Finally putting its money where its mouth is. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design. Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So 
not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And now with that out of the way, although I hate to say out of the way like it was a chore, I genuinely love both of those companies. Um, it is time to talk about the Gators, Dustin. You and I were both in attendance. Let's start with the crowd because the crowd has been anticipated to be one of the biggest in school history. There was talk that maybe it would be the biggest ever. Didn't quite get there. The official count was 90,887, but it was a scene. So where, where were you? Where were your seats? And how incredible did it sound to you? You know, it was incredible. It was incredible. Now, before we get into more negative stuff, for lack of a better term, one positive that we could definitely take away from that game is that the Swamp is definitely back. Um, the fan base showed up um, after a COVID-19 off year, for lack of a better term, where the Swamp was limited to just under 17,000, to have 90 plus thousand people in the swamp it was utterly spectacular um as far as the noise uh i sat most of the game in section 27 row 54 um and it was pretty loud up there uh, but for part of the part of the first half i was actually in the south end zone and down there was utterly deafening could not hear myself think, and especially on defense, that, that stadium was literally shaking. I bet you if they had a seismograph, um, they would have been able to detect earthquakes from, from how loud it was in there. And the crazy thing is typically the swamp gets super loud in response to something great. Uh, for example, in the LSU uh, game in, t- in 2018, the swamp was incredibly loud. Um, when the interception was re- was returned for a touchdown, I think back to the 2006 South Carolina game when when the uh, the field goal was blocked, the swamp was loud. Um, and then lastly, uh, I mean, who can forget in 2019 when the Michael P. Ryan broke that touchdown run um, to kind of seal the deal against Auburn in 2019? Each of those were incredibly loud, but as far as a, a sustained noise during the defensive play by the Gators. I don't think I ever remember the swamp being that loud. Don't get me wrong. It's been loud in the past, but I don't remember it being that loud. Neil, you are our resident, I hate to use this word, but you're a resident savant when it comes to memory. Um, do you have uh, any recollection of an experience in the swamp? That has been louder than that too um that this the the swamp was louder than it was i, I think when, when damian pierce scored the last touchdown to cut it to 31 29 i think it was honestly louder than the heave to cleave in 2017 and that was a game-winning play um i think irma sort of dampened the crowd that day the, the awful showing in Dallas two weeks before kind of ruined the, the hype of that game. It was two ranked teams, but you, like, you could kind of tell that Florida 
was not bound for a great season. So it was loud when that happened. I was, I was right in the end zone where it happened, where Tyree caught that ball. It was loud. Don't get me wrong. It was louder when Pierce scored that touchdown uh, to cut it to two points in uh, or on Saturday. Um, LaMichael Piran's touchdown, I would say was louder. There was, there was like a two pronged, jolt of noise first when he broke the first tackle and then when he got to the sideline to beat the defender to it and fans knew it was going to be a touchdown run i think that sustained noise for that like that jetway takeoff down the sideline was was probably number one uh the pick six of joe burrow in lsu or in in 2018 against lsu was probably number two um in term in terms of start to finish i still think auburn was louder than it was um, against Alabama, but it was it was very close. It, it was negligible. You could you could clearly make an argument for either one, depending on where you were sitting, um, and either would be believable. I give a slight nod to Auburn and a slight nod to LSU in 2018 that those were louder start to finish, but it was it was very close one way or another. And like you said, the swamp is back. Uh, the football team might be back as well that's that's another good transition um i'm I'm relaxed today so i'm i'm feeling good so i'm just hitting my transitions well uh the the swamp is back the gators seem back they lost the game you and i have made no bones about it uh we don't we don't do moral victories here at the all kinds of weather forecast because part of keeping it respectful but keeping it real means saying no you lost that game you lost like Florida didn't score more points than Alabama. They didn't get the win. It's not going to be a win on their resume. It is a loss. A lot of good things happened in that game. A lot of positives out of it, but it was a loss. The question is, Dustin, what are we going to do about our self-inflicted wounds? We got the interception from Emory Jones. We got a missed PAT. We got a muffed kickoff that – cost us 24 yards of field position. How, how are we going to fix those? Cause that, those are things that like, they just shouldn't happen regardless of how early in the year it is. You can't have those things happen. Period. Yeah. And, and don't forget the, uh, the missed interception opportunity by Brenton Cox. Yep. That too. I mean, if he picks that off, I think we win the game. There's no doubt in my mind. No, you're right. You're right. Um, I think he would have run that back a while a ways too. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think he was going to get caught. So Neil, talk to me about. You mentioned those mistakes, but talk talk to me about the impact that those mistakes had in the game. Well, they cost Florida the game. I mean, they literally decided the game. The crowd had made its impact known. Like you talk about the impact that a crowd has on the game. Florida's crowd did its part. They caused at least five pre-snap penalties. Um, I don't have the full game yet. I've only seen the cut-ups. There might have been like a skip here. There there was another one that I missed. But there were at least five pre-snap penalties, a delay of game, and four false starts. And they forced Alabama to burn a timeout. And one of those false starts cost them a shot to go for it on fourth and goal from inside the one. Logic says they probably, as well as Florida, had been playing defensively. They probably would have scored on that. They didn't. They got pushed back. It cost them four points because they kicked the field goal. So the crowd did its part, but the mistakes killed them. The, the mistakes were more damaging than the, the swamp crowd was helpful. And that's yes. very disappointing. Yeah. And Neil, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we talked about before the game on the preview pod that 
Florida could not make mistakes like that and have a chance to win the game. Now, major props to Florida. They made those kinds of mistakes, and they still were in the game. I mean, my thought was Florida had to be plus two in the turnover battle to even have a chance at winning the game. They were minus one, and they still were within fighting distance of winning the game. I mean, if the only mistake in that game is the interception and the rest and the, the rest of the mistakes don't happen, meaning we make the extra point, um, Brenton Cox catches the interception, we don't muff the kickoff. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, it's not quite mistakes in the end of the floor, on, uh, on the end of the Florida Gators, but, I mean, it doesn't need to be said enough. The referees made a ton of mistakes in that game as well. I mean, come on, Neil. Was that really a pass interference? No, the refs were <laughs> awful. Here's here's what I'll say. Here's what I say. Here's what I'll say. The refs were atrocious. I thought in both directions. But for every two calls they blew in Alabama's favor, they blew one in Florida's favor. Meaning sixty, like two out of every three blown calls favored Alabama. So clearly not like an even split. It clearly favored Alabama. But there there were some awful calls that benefited Florida too here. There that makes me think. And maybe this isn't like an actual fix. I think that this is just them being awful at their jobs. Like, I don't know that I can claim conspiracy here. I think that they're just plain shit at what they do for a living. So, I mean, we, we can talk about the refs, but at the end of the day, we missed a PAT. We effed up a two-point conversion. Um, you know, Emery threw a pick. That led to an Alabama touchdown. So the refs were were utter garbage. Let's be very clear about that. But – Florida yeah. had their chances to win anyway, and they didn't. And that was the part of the game that Florida could could have controlled, and they didn't control the controllables. Yeah, well, Neil, speaking of controlling, let's talk about the line of scrimmage. So from my perspective, it I mean, it would at least appear that we finally have a Florida team that can dominate the line of scrimmage with almost any team in the country. I mean – it's been said over and over again that the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. In fact, there were several games last year that we were utterly destroyed on the line of scrimmage. Um, and that cost us. It cost us in part against Alabama last year. It cost us in part against A&M. I know a lot of that had to do with some poor play in the secondary, but we did not dominate against A&M on the line of scrimmage. Um, even LSU. But finally, we have a game where we dominate on the line of scrimmage. So, Neil, what did you think about the performance of both our offensive and our defensive lines? Well, I was very, very impressed with the defensive line, but I knew that Zach Carter was an animal. I, I knew that Brenton Cox could be a difference maker. I knew that we'd gone out of our way to import two big-time Power 5 interior defensive linemen and Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Valentino. So I knew that we were capable of doing that. How about the offensive line? Like this offensive line was getting defeated in the trenches by Towson and UT Martin two years ago. <laughs> they, they didn't play the, I mean, they didn't play a team like that last year, but Vanderbilt at, like held them to a draw, which should never happen in a billion years last year. So even from last year to this year, 
to see the offensive line go from being so utterly helpless in the running game. And, and I will, I will add that Emory Jones being the QB and with a more naturally run heavy offense than a pass heavy offense, it's easier for the offensive line to be better at run blocking because they're going to do it more. So they're going to get more reps at it. But nonetheless, to see the offensive line go from being so helpless in the run blocking game a year ago to being not even competent, good. Like it's, it's a strength. Now it's not the best offensive line in the country, but it's good. It's one of the top 25 or so based on what we saw against Alabama. They, they held the trenches better than Miami did. I mean, Miami is all we can really go by because that's the only other power five team that's played Alabama so far, but we did a good job. We did a good job opening up holes. We did a good job running hard and angry behind them. Uh, Shout out Damian Pierce, shout out uh, Malik Davis, but we have an offensive line that can win us a championship now. It's, you know, the kicking game, the muffing kicks at the, at the one-yard line. It's the interception like the one Emory Jones threw, which granted was his only one, but it's stuff like that. It's stuff outside the offensive line that we're now talking about being liable to cost us a game or a championship, not the offensive line. And in a line of scrimmage league, I'll take that. Yeah. Well, hey, Neil. Let me just say this. I want to. I want to. I want to give forth a an impromptu by the numbers segment of this podcast because if you look at the numbers, other than the scoreboard, Florida dominated this game. Okay, Florida had twenty six first downs to Bama's nineteen. Florida had four hundred and forty yards of total offense to Bama's three hundred and thirty one. In the passing offense, Florida only had one hundred ninety five. Bama had two hundred and forty. Um, completion percentage, Florida completed 64% of the passes. Bama completed 62% of the passes. But let's look at the rushing numbers. Florida rushed for 245 yards on the big, bad boys from Alabama. And Bama only rushed for 91 yards. It's amazing. I, I was blown away when I saw that stat. Those two numbers right there, mind-blowing. And by the way, while we're shouting out the offensive line, before I forget, Gene DeLance, like, take a bow. You have been getting crucified by this fan base for the last two-plus years, and I will, you know, keep it respectful, keep it real. Obviously, not ever in favor of personal attacks because that's, no, that's just a no-no, but – like the criticism of his on-field play has been pretty warranted because he has looked helpless at times against Alabama. Gene DeLance was a strength. Like Gene DeLance made a net positive impact for the Gators on the game. And I think maybe in one or two games in his career before that, you could say the same thing. How about against Alabama to Make to have your biggest game and to play your best. Now, can he do that consistently? I hope so. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that an offensive lineman figuring it out for a game against a team like Alabama bodes well for the rest of the year. But I've also seen so much tape of him that, you know, he doesn't do with things he's supposed to do that I need more than one performance to truly objectively believe it. But firing off the snap, punches off the line of scrimmage were tremendous. I watched the film on that this morning. Oh, wow. He is delivering hard blows 
offline of scrimmage with his hands. He's placing them in the right spots. He looks like he knows what he's doing. Like that was the thing last year. He looked like he didn't know the snap count. He looks like he knows what he's doing and he's comfortable with doing it. And he, he has a purpose on this offensive line. So again, Gene DeLance, uh, you were so much better than I think 99% of the fan base thought you could ever be. Uh, and and I'll, I'll throw myself into that 99%. So hats off to you. That was the best I've ever seen you play. Keep going. Keep it up. And no one will deserve it better than you. Yeah, Deal. I think that's a worthy shout-out to Gene DeLance, who obviously got a lot of flack, especially uh, last year. Um, and even in coming into the season, I mean, there was some uh, indication of even mistakes he was making in the scrimmages. So to see him have that kind of performance, and after, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was injured for at least part of the game against USF. So to go from that to uh, have the performance that, that he did against Alabama, I mean, Alabama, they likely didn't play their best game. But we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They wanted to win that game. They won the game. I mean, their defensive line is still one of the most talented defensive lines in the country. And Florida still mauled them. Well, this you talked about you, – you have to mention one thing. They did drop a wide-open touchdown pass. So if we're going to talk about them playing their best game versus not playing their best game, that's got to be thrown in there. They did drop a wide-open touchdown pass. But nonetheless, the, the point about the trenches stands, of course, that, that doesn't take away from that. Yeah. So, Neil, I know we could talk about that for a while, but something that you know I love talking about is the quarterback situation. And to an extent, we haven't truly solved the debate that, that we've had since week one about our quarterback situation. I mean, we have Emory Jones, who played better. I mean, it continues to improve. That one interception was horrible. Wasn't as bad as the interceptions that he threw against USF or FAU. Well, Deal. Actually, scratch that. It was horrible because that interception cost us. Not only did it cost us a drive that we could have likely kicked a field goal or scored a touchdown on, but Bama, on the ensuing drive that they had after making the interception, they scored a touchdown. I mean, a lot has been made about Bama getting out to that fast start, 21-3. to Well, a big part of that was the interception. I mean, it may have been a 14 to 10 game if Embry doesn't throw that pick. And a 14 to 10 game is completely different than a 21 to 3 game. So well, it's hard it's hard it's hard to think that because that was third and 10 and if he didn't throw the ball he was going to get sacked. So the difference being we could have punted and our defense would have had some, you know, fighting chance to stop him. Instead we gave him the ball at the 38 yard line. We basically cut their field in half, but no, we, we can't do that. Emery can't do that. The pick was bad. There's, you know, there's no getting around that. It, it, was, yeah. it was pretty bad. But, but from that point on, he played three quarters of some of the best non-Kyle Trask-led quarterback. He, he, he gave us, I think, 45 minutes of the best non-Kyle Trask quarterback play Florida has had since Tim Tebow. Uh, I mean, Will Greer against Ole Miss is 
probably the other contender. Um, but he, from the second through the fourth quarters, he was tremendous. Absolutely. Yeah. If you aren't already, um, I know I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but I do have a Twitter account, Dustin, and I shared a few ideas on that. Um, I said, for the record, as long as AR-15 is healthy, and this is kind of a hot take right here, especially after the game, and, and I look forward to getting your thoughts on this. But this is what I said. As long as AR-15 is healthy, Emory Jones should not be the starting quarterback. Too many costly mistakes yesterday, referring to the game. I wrote this Sunday. Um, I believe if we have AR, we win the game. I continue. This isn't a personal attack on Emory either. He's an above-average college quarterback that can make plays with his feet. Only thing, AR-15 has shown elite abilities in limited snaps, albeit. And then I say this, elite is better than above average. I know that's a hot take, Neil, but even from the positives that we saw from Emory against Alabama, I'm still on team AR-15. So with that said, I have to ask you, Neil, did Embry Jones prove to you, I've already given my answer, but did Embry Jones prove to you that he can be the starting quarterback that Florida needs, not necessarily wants, because I guarantee you, Florida wants the reincarnation of a mix between Kyle Trask, Cam Newton, and Tim Tebow. That's what Florida wants. I'm not asking that. Is Emory Jones the starting quarterback that Florida needs to be successful this season in the rest of SEC? Um, you know, I, I knew that question was coming because that's a, a featured question of any pod right now that's talking about the Gators. So I knew it was coming, and I still find myself unsure of the answer. I think if you – locked me in a room and forced me to give an honest, like in-depth answer about it. And like, if I don't answer, you're going to take away my house. Like I have to answer the question. I'm going to go with, yes, he is. So like 51, 52% confident about this and 48%, you know, doubting myself when I say this, um, he is, he is a good enough runner to be the running QB that Dan Mullen wants. There's no debating that. He has not had fumble issues, which is something that Kyle Trask had. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have run Kyle Trask as much as Dan Mullen did, but when he did run, he fumbled the ball a bit. Jones doesn't do that. On top of that, he is obviously a more electric runner than Kyle Trask is, so that's an understatement. Um, can he win Florida a national championship? The defense will have to get better. His receivers will have to do more to get open, but – he can win a national championship if he plays the way he did the last 45 minutes as a starting QB. I, I happen to still think that Anthony Richardson is going to have the better career when it's all said and done in Gainesville. But as we've seen before, Dan Mullen doesn't do, you know, <laughs> he doesn't make moves based on who the better player is necessarily. He'll do it based on seniority, which can have some benefits, I guess, because they know the playbook well um, and, and you know they've more experience with the team. But I question that a bit. But since 
Mullen is who we've got as the coach and he's the one making decisions. That means Emery is the QB we've got and he's the one who's going to be pulling the trigger at QB. So I will say, yes, he is the quarterback that Florida needs to win a national championship. If the defense can get better and keep Florida in the game, as opposed to letting the team get down 21, three before they put the clamps on. Uh, if that happens and his receivers do more to get open for Emery, which was still a little bit of a problem against Alabama. Obviously, it's Alabama, so they're going to have five stars across the board. But if they can do more to create separation, the defense gets better, yes, I think that Florida will be able to win a title with Emory Jones. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you say that. So I think, I again, think that AR is somebody that, that Dan Mullen still needs to consider putting out there as the starting quarterback. Now, Neil, I am willing to concede that if, as long as Emory Jones cuts out the interceptions and instead of throwing two interceptions a game, that he's throwing maybe one interception every two games or one interception every three games, um, still not good, but I mean – it's to be expected that a college quarterback is going to make some mistakes. I mean, no one's perfect. I mean, Tom Brady throws interceptions. As Felipe oh, yeah. Franks, Tom, the wise Felipe does. Franks once said at a press at a post game press conference after we lost to FSU in 2017. Uh, yeah, he's got to he's got to limit them for sure. He's got to cut yeah. them down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if he can, if he can manage the offense, and he can use his legs to make plays, and he can bring an extra explosiveness to his run game like like we saw um, in 2020 and, and most certainly in 2019. If he can do that, then I think that I think that you're right. But I still think that we need to see Anthony Richardson and we need to see him not just in a Tebow-esque role where he's coming in for seven, eight plays to run the ball, but actually seeing Anthony throw the ball and make the defense guess. I mean, I think that's a big reason why Anthony's been so successful because when he comes in the game, you're not sure if he's going to run or throw the ball. I mean, you're going to, you're going to play the run when he comes in, but look, we had Copeland uh, get wide open three times. Two of those were for touchdowns against USF. Of course, we don't have a sample size, unfortunately against Alabama for Anthony Richardson. So we still don't know what he's going to look like against SEC caliber defenses. But I suspect he's going to play pretty good. So let's, uh, let's move on to talking about somebody that you don't really like a ton, somebody that you've given a ton of flack on this podcast, but it's something we have to talk about. So, I mean, we did go by the numbers, and Alabama – Big Bad Alabama, who sported one of the most prolific offenses in the history of the sport last year. They're not quite there, but they're not bad. They're not terrible. They have five stars all over that side of the ball. They got 331 yards of offense. So Todd Grantham did a pretty good job. He did a good so, job of adjusting. The yes. first quarter was atrocious. So, so my question for you, Neil, did holding Alabama to 331 yards by Todd Grantham time 
as Florida's DC? Hard to say because I think he's either going to go or leave at the end of the year based on data that had been compiled well before Saturday. Um, I think it's going to be one of those, hey, the NFL calls you, you know, why don't you go ahead and take it? Dan Mullen will say to Todd Grantham. So, I mean, the first quarter, again, was abysmal. Florida was just not ready for anything Alabama was doing. It took a few, you know, it took a few drives for the defensive line to warm up and for them to get a feel for the trenches. And I can't really blame that on Grantham because Florida's defensive front hasn't been going up against monsters like that in practice. So you can't simulate that. So I don't blame Grantham for that. But I mean, the first three drives, if Florida gets a stop on on even one of them, they win the game. Instead, well, the first two drives because Alabama was gifted the 38-yard line when Emory Jones threw that pick. But even on that drive, like if Florida stands tall and makes a stop on third down and forces a field goal, Florida still wins the game. So you can't go down 21-3 and then decide, okay, now we're going to play. No, you got to start faster than that. The slow start killed Florida. Even with the extra point being botched, the two-point conversion being screwed up uh, later in the game, and even with some of the decisions that Emory made at QB, Florida should never have been down 21-3. Like, I know Bryce Young is good. I know John Mechie is a very quick receiver. I understand that their offensive line is good and is going to give him time. If you want to win games, you can't go down 21-3. And my, my real issue with Grantham, again, is not what happens in any one game. It's the fact that, honestly, like Bryce Young – of, of the good quarterbacks that Todd Grantham has ever faced probably looked the worst. I mean, think, think about all the QBs that Todd Grantham has gone up against at Florida. Matt Corral obliterated him. Drew Locke made him look stupid. Jake Fromm beat him twice. Kellen Mond made food out of him. Mac Jones obliterated him. Uh, Spencer Rattler destroyed him. Like, this is the first time since Joe Burrow in 2018 where – an above average quarterback or better than above average, but you know, someone of at least above average value looked not spectacular against Florida. And that's a problem because we're in year four of Todd Grantham as the defensive coordinator. And he's got two such games to show for it. And he's faced a lot more than two quarterbacks. So, you know, it just gets hard for me to believe like, okay, you know, we saw the Auburn game in 2019. We thought Bo Nix was going to be a star then. Oh, well, we just shut him down. So now things are going to look good. No, it turns out Bo Nix is not that special. And Florida looked good because Bo Nix was missing open receivers. Um, Georgia last year in 2020, Florida looks good on the stat sheet. They pick off three passes. Dewan Mathis missed a lot of open receivers. This is the second time in four years where I think Todd Grantham has anything to even put on his resume from his time in Florida. So twice in 3.25 years is not really likely to change my mind on him. Although in isolation, it was a good showing, but the sum of the data is what I like to use and it does not look very good for him. So the answer to your question, no, my thoughts on him have not changed. Well, Neil, I might just be a nice guy. You, you'll, you'll probably be the first one to say that. But I was pretty impressed with, with what Todd was able to do against Alabama. 
I thought he had an excellent game plan. And, of course, we're going to have to look at the totality of the season. I know Dan Mullen will do that. Um, and arguably we're going to be playing potentially better. I want to be careful. Probably, I don't think the Gators are necessarily going to play a better offense than Alabama. But we may potentially, well, albeit potentially bowl game or college football playoff if we get there. Um, I think this game did a lot for, for Todd Grantham. And one of the areas, when, I, when I'm looking at defensive coordinators, besides their game plan, one thing I really look for is I look for how they're developing young guys and how they're incorporating young guys into the game plan. And you have the, the four leading tacklers on the Gators, each accountable for eight tackles. You have Rashard Torrance. You have Trey Dean. Mohamed Diabate and Gervon Dexter, each accounted for eight tackles. And I think they I think they did an incredible job. I mean, it wasn't the Zach Carters or the Amari Bernies or the Brenton Coxes that were having uh, the games of their lives. It, it was the young guys. And I think Todd's done an incredible job at not only providing a game plan, but developing these young guys into talent that is going to sustain this defense for the rest of the season. I mean, we know Zach Carter is going to show up to play game in and game out. We know that, uh, you know, Newkirk is going to play well. We know that Valentino is going to play well when he has the opportunity. But I want to see Dexter be a star. I want to see Diabate be a star. I want to see Trey Dean, who – who uh, played well last year, but now he's looking elite at the safety position. I mean, that's all I need to see. Yeah, I, I understand that, that Florida's defense turned in its best performance since 2019 on Saturday, and I do credit Grantham for that. I am just left to wonder how long it's going to be before the team kind of goes back to its 2020 form because – Again, like 2020 has been beaten into my head so so viciously after watching the defense look so bad all year. And then the problems against the good QBs he's faced before, like Drew Locke, uh, Jake Fromm, Joe Burrow in 2019. I just wonder what happens if Florida – I mean, Florida's not going to face a better QB than Bryce Young along the way, I don't think. I, I don't think Connor Bazelak is, is close I don't think JT Daniels, if he plays, is what Bryce Young is, although he may be the closest to it. But I want to see how Florida plays against Georgia because they have looked sus, to put it, put it mildly, against Georgia before and USF and FAU this year. So now it's not even like, uh, well, you can't use last year's team to talk about this year. Well, because I've seen it against lesser competition this year. So I'm not saying they won't. I want to see them come out and look aggressive. I want to see them make tackles. They still couldn't do that on Saturday. Um, I thought that aside from that, they executed well defensively, but that's, that's a big thing to say, well, aside from that, on. like tackling is literally how you end a play on defense. If you don't, you're going to get into play by giving up points by definition. So that's a pretty big 
thing standing in the way to brush off. But I mean, if they shore that up, I think that the defense could get into the top 25 range, in which case Grantham would have a real case. But based off of one game, no. I I refuse to let any one game set a rule or dictate any opinion. So I have to ask you, Neil, based on what we saw on Saturday, in terms of the potential for being a, a team that can make the college football playoff, is Florida a contender or a pretender? Oh, they're a contender for sure. Um, I don't know how you can look at that game against a team that's almost certainly going to make the playoff uh, and say that they're a pretender. No, you don't pretend and find yourself coming down to a two-point conversion being effed up against the number one team in the country and say that that's a pretender. No. Uh, they, they contended with Alabama for four quarters, and they, and they beat Alabama. They outplayed, they outclassed, they outgained Alabama, and they outscored Alabama in the last three quarters. Unfortunately, that first quarter counted too, so the result of the game did not go in Florida's favor. But Florida got the better of the play against the number one team in the country. You can't objectively look at that and say that they're anything but a contender. Now, will they get to the CFP? Maybe. They got to beat Georgia. That's, that's the season now, essentially. Um, but to say that they're a pretender is something that is probably more accurately attributed to FSU after that first game against Notre Dame. And uh, by the way, before we get to the final word, ha, 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 ha. FSU follows up that Jacksonville State beauty by losing by three touchdowns to Wake Forest, a team that they, in their heyday, were beating by 40, 50 points. So. Yeah. Neil. That's going to be a fun couple of days in Tallahassee for me, man. I'm, I'm headed there after my, uh, my, my four or five days in St. George Island. I'm headed to Tallahassee to see my, my FSU family. That is going to be fun. Deal. Deal. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> How does it get so bad? I, I understand that they're not – that they're, they don't have Jameis Winston on the team, but Jesus – you lose, to Notre, you lose to Notre Dame to start the year. You look respectable in it. I said all along, Notre Dame is overrated. They're not a good team. We're going to watch the rest of the year play out and show that. But then Jacksonville State, and then you get truck-sticked by Wake Forest, who, as I love to say, doesn't recruit from the same pool of talent. What the hell is happening uh, in Tallahassee? Yeah. Neil. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> let, me, let me just say this, Neil, not to change the subject, but just to kind of get back at our discussion about Florida being a contender or pretender. Neil, you, you know my thoughts. You know I, I think Florida's a contender. In fact, even based on our preseason predictions, I had Florida in the college football playoff. Ironically, I had Florida being in it. Uh, I had them losing to Alabama winning the rest of our games, including a rematch with Alabama in the SEC championship game. I sure hope I'm right with that. And then I had Florida losing to Ohio State in the championship game. Now, I no longer think that Florida is going to be playing Ohio State necessarily in the championship game. Um, but I, Florida could very well walk into that prediction pretty much exactly. Now, speaking of of preseason predictions before getting to this uh 
this final word, I have to ask you, Neil, and you know that I sure held your feet, your foot or feet, however you want to say it, to the fire um, when you made that bull prediction. But do you still think that Florida could lose to Missouri? Is that still yeah. a prediction of yours? Yeah, they could. Gonna, they could. They could. No, I, I, I don't think they will you, anymore. Are, are you, you going to pick no. Florida in that game? Or are you going to pick Missouri? Well, we'll see what happens. Them? We'll see what happens when we get to that yeah. point in the year. Okay. Right now, I give Florida about a 70% chance. Okay. Uh, because because we know the ball can get cold. It can turn into a rock. Florida can like not feel up to it that day. They're out of their element. You never know how that's going to affect you. Alex Brown has been on this podcast, and he's talked about that. That's a real thing that can screw them up. Uh, and Missouri is not so incompetent like FSU is that it would be no that it wouldn't help them. So I'd say that Florida's real worry now though is more the elements of that game as opposed to the, the actual team they're going to be facing for sure i'll, I'll grant you that yeah uh, let's get on to the final word so neil you know how we do this we're going to start out with the play of the game then we'll go to the player of the game and then we'll give our grades so neil what would you say the play of the game was play of the game is the missed extra point uh, that's the second time in the last quarter century that Florida has lost a game to Alabama on a missed extra point. I don't know how lightning can strike twice like that, but uh, that, I mean, not necessarily for a good reason, but it's like Casey said with Marco Wilson on the LSU post game pod last year. It's not because it was a spectacular play. It's not because it was a great play that went in our favor. It's because it's the play that decided the game it threw off our approach on the two point conversion. We were forced to run a play that we weren't ready to run as opposed to kicking another extra point, which is much, much higher percentage. And, you know, it, 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 it decided the game. So yeah, that's my play. How about you? Neil, I'm going to have to go with the dropped interception. I know I hate to harp on a mistake that kind of, kind of would have been above expectation typically don't expect bucks or defensive linemen slash linebackers to make that kind of play. But I mean, considering that Brenton Cox had the five-star billing, considering he clearly has the talent to do so, and considering he had the opportunity to single-handedly change the outcome of the game, I think that that missed opportunity really hurt the Gators. Now, if you didn't say the, the, this extra point that's probably what i would have said um but in part being different i'm going to say that uh missed interception opportunity so now let's move on to the player of the game and there's actually quite a few players that i could go with but i'm gonna go with damian pierce now i know that he didn't necessarily have a ton of yards in that game he only had 24 yards on seven carries, but he did have two touchdowns. And both of his touchdowns were spectacular. I mean, the guy cannot be tackled. I mean, he breaks tackles left and right. His body control, his balance, his ability to uh, throw it into a, a gear that I didn't think he had. I mean... Damian Pierce is phenomenal. And I know Malik Davis, he, he, he 
averaged 8.6 yards per carry. He had 86 yards on 10 carries. Um, also had the, the second longest run at uh, 26 yards. But I have to give it to Pierce simply for him having the two touchdowns. Fair. Who is your player of the game? Well, I wanted to go with Pierce, and I wanted to go with Malik Davis, and I wanted to give it to them and, and have them share it. But instead, I'm going to spread this out fivefold. Richard Garage, Ethan White, Kingsley Egwakun, Stuart Reese, Gene DeLance, all five of the Florida starting offensive linemen are going to have to share this one because they were extraordinary against an Alabama defense that's littered with five stars. And they, they won the trench battle. Florida lost the game on the scoreboard, but the tape shows that these five guys, especially in the last three quarters, these guys won the battle in the trenches with Big Bad Bama. So, I mean, if Florida doesn't screw up the PAT and then the subsequent two-point conversion, it comes down to can Florida get one stop to set the game to overtime, and it would be because of these five offensive linemen that Florida is in overtime with a chance to potentially beat Alabama. So it wasn't their fault that Florida lost, and it was probably the most spectacular year-to-year improvement from a position group I've seen in Florida in a long time. Uh, maybe, man, maybe going from Franks to Trask at QB. But aside, I mean, really, th- this was unbelievable on their part in a in a pleasantly shocking way. So good for you guys. Keep it going. Um, I I am blown away by that game tape. So five ways offensive line all gets my player of the game vote. That's a pretty good player of the game. More so players of the game. Uh, maybe a little bit of cheating there by Neil, but but I'll take it. So the final element of the final word, of course, is the grades. So let's grade the offense, the defense, the special teams, the coaching, and then we'll give an overall percentage grade for how we thought uh, the team did. So Neil, why don't you go ahead and give your grades? Yeah, so for offense, I'm going to have to go with a B-. minus. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate that one bad play ruins the whole grade because aside from that one bad play, the offense was really spectacular. But the pick by Emory Jones, that, I mean, that, that just can't happen. He just can't do that. He's got to know, you know, all right, it's third and ten. I know this is a desperate situation, but maybe let's not make it worse than it already is. I'm going to get sacked. Let's just eat it. Let my punter come on. Jeremy Crosshaw has done a great job so far this year. Let him come on and let him do his job and pin them back deep so our defense has a fighting chance. No, instead they, they gave Alabama the ball at the 38. They score. Um, so, and, and, you know, without that, maybe Florida gets that stand and it's not 21, three, I mean, maybe Florida wins the game. So, I mean, aside from that, the offensive line was, was really great. The receivers could maybe get a little bit better in terms of creating separation, but this was Alabama. So I completely understand why it's not going to look like they got so much separation in this game. So I'll give them a B minus uh, oh and the running game is great so i'll give the offense a b minus defense similarly gets a b the defense was great for most of the game that first quarter was awful and it lost florida the game guys still looked a little confused on some snaps the tackling throughout the first quarter was was just awful 
And, I mean, that, that can't happen. A bad quarter like that is going to cost you a game against a team that you really have to beat, like, say, Georgia in Jacksonville or Alabama in a rematch or even Ohio State or Clemson or Oklahoma or someone else in the CFP. So that can't happen. Aside from that, they were great. But, you know, the first quarter matters too. So that's going to drop them down to a B. Special teams, F, 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 F. The missed extra point. I mean, extra points are something that you gotta you got to hit. 100% of the time in, in major college football. I understand that a college football kicker is going to miss a 35-yarder, a 40-yarder from time to time. I get that. Extra points have got to be automatic. This isn't, this isn't like a baseball batting average. Going two for three is not considered, oh, 666 average. That's great. No. Like the degree of difficulty in getting a hit in baseball is significantly different than it is in kicking extra points in football. These have to be a hundred percent. And because it wasn't, it cost Florida the game too. Cause we had to go for a two point conversion where we should have been kicking another automatic extra point should have given Alabama the ball back late in the game with a tie game. Maybe if we get a stop there, we get the ball back with a chance to win. So and, oh, and then it didn't cost us, but then there was the muffed kickoff in the end zone that cost us 24 yards of field position. We did drive 99 yards down the field for a touchdown, but you can't do that. You, you can't do that. You, you just can't muff a kickoff in your end zone, let it just bounce out of bounds at the one-yard line, and take the ball from the 25 back here on one. You just can't do it. So, F. And, and this is, you know, one of those – not even respectable Fs. Like this is maybe a, a 10 or a 15% F. And coaching, the, again, the first quarter matters. The defensive coaching I thought in the first quarter, I thought guys were out of position again. That's probably a coaching issue. The fact that tackling is still such a problem at Florida is a coaching issue too. From then on, it was pretty good. I would say, I would say Dan Mullen called a really good game in terms of play calling. The last drive, though, when Florida scored a touchdown, you got to move. Like, you've got to go. Instead, they just just sat around running an eight-minute offense and just let so much time bleed off the clock that when Damian Pierce finally scored, there was only 3-10 left. And that meant that Florida was putting all of its eggs in that two-point conversion basket, meaning if the two-point conversion failed, which it did, Florida was screwed as opposed to maybe running tempo, hurry up offense, maybe score with five and a half minutes to go so that if Alabama does get a single first down, it's not game over. Uh, and he, and Mullen's done that before too. He's done that. He did that against Georgia in the, in, in Jacksonville, in the, the de facto SEC East championship game. Like he's done this in big games before where down two scores he takes all the clock off the fourth quarter before Florida finally scores a touchdown in the fourth quarter. But by then, a first down for Georgia wins the game. Like, you got to learn at some point. So I would say overall he called a good game, but that's going to drop my grade down to a C plus because when, when you're the head coach of a football team that is in a battle with Big Bad Bama – you have to be making the difference in a positive sense. You can't be hurting your own team. So C plus for them. Overall, overall grade, 
I, I don't weigh these all equally like Dustin does. Um, special teams, I don't weigh as much as offense and defense because they're not on the field for as many plays. But they did have a big impact in this one. So I'll say the overall grade for this game is about an 87 or an 88. It's a B plus. It's not an A because they lost the game and because they did plenty of things that they shouldn't have done. But overall, a B is something to be content with. This was a very hard test if you want to use the school analogy, because we are using grades. Um, th this was a very difficult test, and Florida passed it, I would say, in terms of making themselves known at the national level. But there is still a lot that needs to be cleaned up between now and the time Florida faces Georgia. So those are my grades. Dustin, what do you think? So, Neil, as far as grades, I, I'm going to actually be pretty similar to you. Offense, I'm going to give a B-. minus. Um, anytime you throw an interception – it's going to be hard for me to give you anything close to an A. Um, I felt that we, the second quarter through the fourth quarter, probably an A minus. Um, run game, definitely an A plus, but B minus as far as offense. Defense, B, um, A plus after the uh, first quarter. Um, averages out to B, special teams, F. And, and as we, uh, we famed last year, uh, the kind of F that we see on special teams, uh, it isn't the kind of F that you can come back from and, you know, take the final exam and you'll get, you could potentially pass the class. It's the kind of F that if you get that, you ba you basically have to drop the class. Like there's no coming back from. Um, I know we throw the percentages at the end, but I would say it's like a, 20 or 25 percent f i don't even give him that again like because extra points if you go two for three on them it's not the same as going two for three at the plate in a baseball game like you you're expected to go three for three or yeah. five for five at the, at the sec level you don't have to make like 55 yarders like evan mcpherson did but you can't miss pats those are like layups you can't miss a layup you can't miss a dunk in a basketball game like you can't do it and missing one of them as we saw cost Florida the entire game and, and the right. muff kickoff too. Like let's not, let's not just point it all at one bad play. The muff kickoff didn't cost Florida this time, but certainly could have might if I it mean, happens again and just, it can't happen. It just can't yeah. happen. I mean, it certainly hurt the Gators. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Gators had to drive 99 yards from that. Right. But I'm saying they overcame it. They scored in spite of it. It they didn't did, cost them points, but it, it certainly added time to that drive. It did. And if no, it did. That time could have certainly helped the Gators at the end of the game. It might have. And again, I, I said it in my grades, but this is worth reiterating now because I don't see a lot of people talking about it when, in my opinion, they should be. They took way too much time on that last drive. Like, you're down two scores. You need two touchdowns anyway. What's like, why would you take all day? To, to score on your first one. Like, get the first touchdown, with, preferably with, like, five, five and a half minutes to go. Like, run a hurry up. Run tempo. Get that first touchdown with five and a half to go so you don't put all your hopes in the two-point conversion basket. Because if you don't get the two-point conversion, which we did not, your time is significantly reduced, which it was. And when Alabama got one first down, the game was over because then we got the ball back with four seconds left and basically – the options were we're going to run some crazy uh, from scrimmage version of the Miami Hurricanes kick return against Duke in 2015, or we're going to lose the game. So 
like that drive's got to be done quicker. I mean, yeah. Dan Demolin has to know better. He he botched the end of game sequence against Alabama last time we faced them. You can't call a yeah. timeout like that for a two-point conversion after a touchdown. You can't do that. That that ship has sailed. Kick the PAT. Don't burn a timeout. You're going to need it. Um, so that's to me like that's going to drop the grade because he's still making these types of managerial errors that hurt his team. So because of that, I mean, I'm look dropping at his, it to a C plus. Look at his last three times versus Alabama. I mean, even at Mississippi State, I believe that 2017 game, um, they he had a hard rocked. time. They just got yeah. blown away that day. Oh, the 2017? No, 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 no. You're right. Seven? 17, 17. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Lost by seven. There was a, you know, could have could have had the chance to uh, cut it sooner, but they didn't. They did have enough time at the end of the game, and is partially due to um, the drive that cut it to seven is took too long. Right. So, um, coaching B plus. I felt like, and that's mostly due to the game plan. I thought the game plan was excellent. I thought the way they handled uh, the quarterback situation, especially especially without him, without um, Anthony Richardson. Um, I thought that was handled well. Uh, when I say B plus, I'm thinking like an 80, 87 or something That's overall, fair. I think it's very fitting that this team gets a 69 overall. Are you serious? On, yeah, that that's yeah. And I'm not just saying that I, for the I, uh, overall grade 69. Yeah. You're out of your mind. No, they get a, they I'm get not. like it. They get like an 88. Come on, man. They, it's not a win. So you can't give them an A, but no, you, you can't give them a D plus grade. You can't give them a sixty nine. I, I know I know that there's a connotation of nice that comes along with that, but come on. You got you gotta give them at least a B. Neil. Neil said so you don't know how I do this. So actually I assign a percentage for offense, defense, special teams, and coaching and I average them all together. I mean, I get it. I understand you want to incorporate all four into the final grade, but it's hard it's really hard to weight them all equally when offense and defense are on the field significantly more than the special teams we don't miss the extra point and we don't muff that punt or muff the muff the um the kickoff i should say i think florida gets a a c on special teams or a, a b on special teams but that killed us so neil um any other thoughts before we crash land this thing yeah so i, I do think it is very worthwhile to point out um one major thing with this podcast you know, as always, keep it respectful, but keep it real. The grades I gave and the comments were as harsh as they were because the expectation for the University of Florida is to compete for and win national championships because that's that's the standard. That's the Gator standard that Dan Mullen said that he wanted to impart on this team, and it's the standard that he sets out to live up to every day. So I respect that. I love Mullen for that. Um, and I'm going to talk about this team as though that is the standard. And if national championships are the standard, missing extra points, muffing kickoffs in the end zone and costing your team 24 yards of field position, throwing an interception like the one Emory Jones threw, still missing tackles, granted against Alabama, but doing all those things are unacceptable. And it doesn't mean that this team as a whole shouldn't be proud of the effort that they put out. But like if this happens in atlanta alabama will be the sec champion not florida we saw last year alabama had its toughest test of the year in atlanta against florida florida remembers that game for putting up a big time fight alabama remembers that game as winning the sec championship 
if Florida goes to the CFP championship and they face Clemson, who looks kind of mediocre this year. So we'll say against the Clemson and Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama again, Georgia round two, whatever. Florida plays like that and they lose by the exact same score. We're going to remember it for being a nice fight. Georgia or Clemson or Oklahoma are going to remember that game for being national champions. So yes, some of the things that were discussed today were, were not pleasant in a game that I think most fans took more positives from the negatives, but the goal and the standard of Florida is to compete for and win championships. So within that context, that's where the frustration comes from because the overall effort, the overall showing was sensational. I, I am very, very happy with the game overall. But these are the things that need to be corrected or else Florida is not going to win anything. It's with that precise goal and that mindset that I'm saying extra point misses are unacceptable. Botched, you know, fielding of kickoffs and letting the ball dribble out of bounds at the one-yard line is unacceptable. The, the pick that Emery threw, unacceptable. Dan Mullen taking his sweet-ass time in the fourth quarter down two scores unacceptable. So that's where the word unacceptable comes from. It sounds harsh, but if the the goal is to win a national title, those things are unacceptable. But with that said, you know, I'm proud of the effort. It was a loss. We're not, we're not going to sit here and go, yay, moral victories. No, 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 no. We lost the game. We have a lot of things to be positive about. I'm actually more confident about the rest of the year now than I was heading into the year, but it was it was a loss and we have things to improve on and i'd like to see them do that starting with tennessee next week yeah well hey folks so to those of y'all out there let's real quick let's take a deep breath breathe in breathe out we got to put this one to bed we have a full slate of sec games and then we finish the season against arguably the worst FSU team thus far. The worst FSU team since before Bobby Bowden got there. I mean, this, this team is worse yes. than the Willie Taggart's 5-17. Uh, and 17. My FSU yes. uncle is standing right here. He's just listening to it. He's taking it. He knows he's got, he's got no clap back to that. If you can't yeah. beat us, we can. That's funny. Yeah, he just yelled out, "If you can't beat us, we can." Like if we, if we, if we have an LSU, if we have an LSU uh, repri- reprise or reprise or whatever you pronounce that word, if we have like a a, re- a replay of an LSU game uh, against FSU this year, FSU will take care of it and they'll beat themselves for us. But now Georgia, yeah. Georgia is the season, man. Georgia is the whole season. Everything between now and then is just a lead up. Obviously, can't lose a game between now and then, but. I mean, we, we know what we got to do. Offensive line's got to keep getting better. Defense has to be more consistent. But, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good about this team. Yeah, Neil. Well, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you've enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We, as always, very much appreciate that. And, of course, we can't thank you enough for listening. We encourage you to stay safe. Stay healthy and go Gators. Just remember this. In all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. That's That's it. We're on to Tennessee. And until next time, let me say it again. Go Gators.